And a one, and a two, and a one, two, three. Welcome to House of Strauss Call-In, where we take live callers. Uh, this time around, we've got a legit goddamn radio professional stopping by the House of Strauss. That is the one, the only Spike Eskin. How you doing, sir? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing very well, despite the turbulent state of the world. Uh, we are most likely not going to talk about any of that. Uh, any of the the scary, uh, scary, what am I even looking for? Why am I even bringing it up? God damn it. I'm taking us all out of the mood from the start. We're, we're supposed to be talking about the uh, murky, depressing NBA, not the murky, depressing world, Spike. I apologize, but it's nice to have you regardless. It's uh, it's good to be here. I was actually just reading uh, Chuck Klosterman's 90s book, and he Ooh. talks about the... Uh, like the Gulf War being the first one that was on TV, and uh, and I remember that. And I was I was th- I, we don't we certainly should not talk about this. I'm not. <laughs> I don't know enough. To we, talk about I don't this, know. But, Maybe we will. Maybe we will. <laughs> but I, I I thought about it as I looked at Twitter today because there were people saying that oh I, I I can't believe we're seeing this live on the internet and yada yada yada. And I was like. Hmm. It actually doesn't seem that different to me than when the Gulf War was on TV when I was a teenager. Um, no, you know, it, like, yeah. I, I mean, I want to first of all, I want to read that book. Uh, I think he's going to be fascinating on that subject um, on the 1990s in general. But it's this weird commodification of the serious thing that's happening that happens simultaneous, where you're living in an everything is potential entertainment universe that I guess we've been in since. I don't know, the last half century or so, where I think you tweeted out how there was an NFT of refugees on a boat that was being sold. And the AP was talking about that. And you look at something like it, you go, just what what the hell? What the hell is this? Is nothing is nothing sacred? You know, this is potentially terrifying what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. It could cause nuclear war. You know, probably not, but it could. And yet, you know, there's an element of CNN and the media loving that their ratings are juiced. Yeah, and I, you know, we sometimes we talk about money like it is. Uh, it's not how you like pay for your house and buy food, and uh, that we just talk about it like it's only for enjoyment. So when mm-hmm. when uh, a business is doing things, quote unquote, for money, it must be evil. The problem with things like CNN and or any news organization is that they, they are a business that is motivated by generating revenue to pay their employees to make more money. And, and it's a very strange reward system for a, uh, a for something like reporting, which, yeah. which should be like wholesome in some way, for lack of a better word, you know? Yeah. So, I don't blame them for trying to make money because if they don't make money, somebody else will make money. But it just seems like that particular job, like, you know, like police, the job, you know, they shouldn't be turning a profit. The, you yeah. know, the, so I, I feel like on some level, the news maybe should be, you know, not for profit in some way. I know some organizations are obviously, but um, I don't know if that, I don't know if that would change things I because I, I think people and this will eventually lead into a LeBron conversation, but people are more motivated by attention than even yeah. money because at some evolutionary level, you understand that attention is status and it's more visceral 
than even just pure cash. So sometimes when I see people in the media, maybe they hate people at Substack or whatever, there's an economic incentive to that. Maybe they're getting outcompeted, but I think it's also just the attention economy and a feeling of they're, these people are getting paid attention to now. I should be the one who gets paid attention to, and that is what's motivating me to try to squash them and try to redirect the conversation. We, you know, it's a, it's, it actually is a really good connection to the NBA because I was thinking about that earlier because, you know, uh, let's take uh, five years ago or seven years ago, and you would take the NBA's approach to allowing people online to use highlights and pictures. Mm-hmm. And they, they were they were never really difficult about it. And the, the thought was, is like, well, they're being smart because they're allowing people to talk about their product, which is bringing more attention to their product and so on and so forth. But the whole goal is for that to happen so people like your product enough to purchase it, right? Like to buy a ticket, to watch it. Like the goal is to bring attention to your product so you sell more of your product. But I think what happened was they they got confused by uh, social media the same way everybody else did. and, And it became a goal in and of itself without an end. So, yes, you have people talking about it on Twitter all day and people are retweeting dunks and blah, 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 blah. But then they just walk away and do something else with their free time. Yeah. Go and watch the games or buy tickets or anything like that. And I think it's sort of similar to what you're talking about. And I have sympathy for how they got into this mess, because it's not like in 2015, I was warning them about this. It seemed brilliant to have everybody talk about your sport how could it possibly be bad but i think we can read into it and come away with other conclusions about broader society and culture that there's too much information out there there's too much chatter in general and if you just allow the conversation about your league to kind of take place willy-nilly uh with no direction you know no focused marketing then it's just a cacophony and it just devolves into the most sociopathic people on Twitter competing for attention, using your sport as the way they do it versus just pounding into people's brains in the 1990s. I love this game. I love this game. I love this game. And the latter appears to sell the sport of basketball better than the former. Well, and when you think about it, everybody is benefiting from it except for the, the NBA. And we're not everybody, but think of all the all the the entities that are benefiting from it. Uh, obviously, let's take Twitter as one of them. Twitter's benefiting from it because people are staying on the platform longer. They're selling more advertising, and and all, like Twitter is benefiting from that. Yeah. And and I think the NBA, I think the reason the NBA media gets so confused why they think this is so good for the game and you hear NBA, you know, uh, higher profile NBA talkers say, well, all this controversy is good for the game because look at all the attention. Well, it's good for the, the, the news organizations because they're driving eyes and selling advertising. Um, and the Twitter is driving eyes and selling advertising. The only, the only part of this that is not getting the benefit out of it is the NBA themselves because they're they have fewer eyes, which eventually will mean less advertising and less money, right? Like there's fewer people watching on TV as you've written about a million times. There's um, <laughs> just remember I'm bad for pointing that out. I'm the freak for pointing that out. Even though I mean, I, just to interject, this is vain. I know the audience doesn't care about my credit, but just once 
just once I want somebody in NBA media to say I was right as opposed to it was a weird obsession. Because when I started, there was a lot of denial and a lot of no, 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 it's not true. And now it's it's true, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> I When you were at The Athletic and writing about it, I remember getting into, when I got into Twitter arguments, I got yeah. into a Twitter debate with one of your coworkers who wrote that like, well, this is really inside baseball. Nobody cares about this. And I'm like, you're, everybody cares about this. Like, yes. Like, and, and denying that it's true, by the way, and saying that nobody cares about it. First of all, even if nobody did care about it, it doesn't make it less true. Yeah. And and also people do care about it. They absolutely care about it. It's crazy. Why do we keep denying it? It's actually happening. <laughs> oh, you they know? would care about it if the news was good. If the news was good, then right. it would be something to care about. And I hey, trust me, the NBA cares about it. You get your head bitten off uh if you start talking about it, which might have something to do with why it wasn't spoken about. I mean, this is my own gripe, my own grievance. I don't tweet anything other than promotional links now. I don't like getting in the conversations. But sometimes I see stuff. I mean, you know, I see that people mm-hmm. are saying this or that about me. Occasionally something is sent to me. And I saw something recently about how I must be licking my chops because NASCAR outcompeted the NBA All-Star game, which wasn't, I guess, a topic I was really interested in engaging in. But it's sort of this strange thing where you're still – a freak or a weirdo for just, I don't know, knowing about this or talking about it, as opposed to this is one of the most significant things to happen in the history of the NBA. Uh, <laughs> they well, lost half their fucking viewers. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> well, all it means, Ethan, is obviously that you're a, like racist and you yes. vote for Trump and yes, you're a COVID denier and all that. And, <laughs> you're right, 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 right. right. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it, it's a it cope. Is. It's a cope. Yeah. yeah. It's, well, um, you know, the reason the ratings are down is because everybody is just watching Reddit streams. That's what it is. <laughs> no, That's this, is, the, this is my favorite thing. It's like, you know, people are watching the illegal streams, and it's because the fans of the NBA are so uniquely smart. Other, you know, unlike the fans of these other sports, like, oh, duh, where's the college football? You only know how to use the TV. Like, that's really what they're saying at some level is – the fans of the NBA are so uniquely smart that they have uh, swiveled around the Nielsen ratings, the Nielsen box. And uh, yeah. that's that's why. But look, you know, this used to be a conversation, a dead horse. We could hammer into the ground. But I do think there's been a shift. I know, and I might write about it further, that the media is pissed at Adam Silver after that All-Star weekend because of the locker room, the floated locker room ban. Uh-huh. And there are a lot of conversations taking place right now between media members, NBA media. I mean, this was, I think he pulled on a thread that he didn't know uh, could be an issue. Um, And they're basically saying, hey, maybe it's time we start going after this dude a bit. We've kissed his ass for so many years. What has it resulted in for the league? And what is it resulting in for us if placating players means he takes the most fundamental part of our job away. Uh, what say you to that? Well, you know, first they came for dot, dot, dot. I mean, you, you could see this, though, when, when COVID started and all of a sudden, all of the press conferences, everything was on Zoom. Yeah. Everyone 
you know, like I, I work, I work in sports radio in New York now, and I was in Philly, and I remember in Philly, we all sort of whispered to each other, like, "When is this ever? This is never going away." You know, like, yeah. like this, this, this will be one thing that they switched, and it's going to make things a lot more comfortable for everybody at the team level. And you know, any anyone, any athlete who doesn't doesn't want a reporter in the locker room, I understand on a yeah. human level who would want who would want that nobody yeah. would ever want like i get it um i it's funny though because of all the things that have changed and all the things that are wrong with um you know that relationship the the league and and media and all these things the access to have them in the locker room just doesn't seems super high to me and and i am yeah. a, I, i'm a media rights person and i i think access is super important but if you need to be there like it's just such a very old school thing of what yeah. reporting what reporting on sports should be you know it's like i watched the game i wrote what happened i stood in the locker room while they were getting dressed i heard them talk um <laughs> and I, I know there are other things that you can get when you're in there. And I know it like the bigger problem, the overall problem is access to the players. And if you are kept away from everybody for so long that those those relationships don't develop and it makes it harder to do your job. I I understand. I just like I, I find it hard to believe that this is going to be the thing that the leagues break on. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of me thinks, hey, good on you, media people. I don't like when people suck up to power and root on their own powerlessness. Um, and so, hey, stand up for yourself, right? Like, yeah. be mad at Adam Silver. Good for you. Um, I don't necessarily know, though, how they could make his life more difficult and exert leverage over him. Uh, because it's almost like using a muscle that they've never used before, right? Uh, like, how would they know how to do it? If you start talking about some of the stuff I've mentioned, that's just known to be a conservative talking point now that you don't say that the, the league's popularity is diminished under his stewardship. So I'm not even sure where they can bring that particular pressure beyond a couple, hey, the league has kind of gotten chaotic articles, which is true and which we'll get into. But um, I'm not sure how they're going to do it is what I'm saying. Well, yeah, I, I agree because I, like, they're not going to get sympathy from the public. I don't know. No, no. Uh, public know, the, the, media. Yeah, and that that's it's unfortunate, but it, it's sort of like the same the same way when in a labor dispute, both the players and the owners try to get sympathy for the public, and the public's like, "Wait a minute, well, yeah. we don't we don't sympathize with either of you," and I I think I. I, so the the only way to do it would be to, you know, stop covering it or be hard on the league. But I don't, I don't know that they. That's that's a that's a hard yeah pivot well, pivot to make right. Let's get let's get into why the the public hates the media uh, because in many ways it's it's very much earned and I make the point that I want the reporters to still be in locker rooms, which to be clear is not a part now of how I make my money and I hated going in there uh, back when I needed to even if it was good for the overall product I didn't like going in there but you know I look at it as 
it's just going to get worse. It's going to be worse coverage. Uh, if you take that away, it's going to be more Twitter yeah. bullshit. But I understand the contempt because so much of the modern media conversation, whether it's politics or whether it's sports, is taking the common sense view and condescending to it and lecturing the per, uh, the, the regular person. You know, I, I look and, you know, it's an awkward thing to bring up in a way because uh, it was all kind of sparked by a, a tweet from your father. And I don't think we're talking about whether the tweet is a good tweet or a bad tweet, but he said something about uh, Ben Simmons uh, kind of using mental health as a ruse. I'm not even using the, uh, w- the whatever the language was um, of it. And it just starts this avalanche of takes lecturing people who might feel that way. And I'm looking Sports Illustrated. The headline is Ben Simmons mental health is not a joke. <laughs> it's just like, who are you talking at? Like, what is the point of this? You know, how is this? How is this the coverage of a sport? It just seems like it's a proxy for showing that you are an elevated person versus the commonsensical view that this guy, you know, kind of used false pretenses to worm his way out of a contract and didn't show up to work regardless of whatever his state internally is. He did not handle it by going, hey, I retire because I don't like being an NBA basketball player. No, he tried to. (laughs) force his way out to uh to an upgrade and drag everybody through it and it seems like that is worthy of at least some criticism but now i am i am digressing my main point is that the media by so often taking this posture has earned a contempt that's what i'm saying i think some have for sure i i I yeah it's not everybody yeah i i do think that it it also is an an interesting thing just to to I guess wrap up the locker room thing is that it's very interesting for the NBA media and sports media in general is very uh, you know labor friendly nowadays and <laughs> and player empowerment and to all yeah. of a sudden say well they should have all the rights except for getting dressed without me in the room is a <laughs> is a weird line to draw you yeah know? Uh, I think it's I. I, I also have a hard time when you talk about the NBA and the, or the media and the attitude toward the media. It really seems like I, I wonder what part of that is like gen pop and real and what part mm-hmm. of it is Twitter brain. Like yeah. what, what number of people, what number of sports fans in who are aware of Ben Simmons and his situation, even know that what you're talking about happened. Probably like, very few. I think they you know, think. I think Ben Simmons was a bit of a Waterloo, where it just the normie, the normie view wasn't contested too much. As this guy is handling this in a really shitty way, and this isn't good. And it only, it really only happened. And maybe I could be a conspiracy theorist on to why. Once the trade went through, then we needed to all care and be sympathetic. But yeah, it seems like, yeah, yeah I don't think many people know about those takes. And, and for somebody who uh, has, been, has been in the Ben Simmons thing as much as I have because of what we do with the podcast, it, it was weird. It went from contempt very early to when he, he, by the way, he never fully committed to the mental health thing. Uh, he never he never said that there was any sort of 
not that I need to know that he has some sort of condition, but yes. it was always it was it was always that he was mentally ready to play, not that he was suffering from anything. Um, yeah. And it never never fully went there, but it went it went from it went from contempt to sympathy locally, and there was a big wave amongst Sixers fans and local media to be sympathetic toward it. To then all of a sudden being like, when the Ramona Shelburne article came out, it was like, oh wait a minute, this guy's full of shit, you know. <laughs> and and then they got mad again, and then when the trade finally happened the 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 wave of um shame on you stuff started <laughs> happening i i was sort of disappointed that and i love pablo tori pablo has been a friend of the pod and and all yeah. of those things but when i saw the video of him sort of finger wagging at everybody i was just like did we not just see what the guy did like did we did we all not just watch what ben simmons did and and we've all been a party to this over the last five minutes or the last five months, but it's really just the fans that are mad that are the problem and have caused it. Mm-hmm. And we're not being sensitive enough. I this all came from why people don't like the media. Um, I don't know. I, I have no idea. I, I sometimes they're a conduit to bad information, um, but I do think that there is a. Um, is a finger wagging that comes from media to people who don't necessarily agree with them um, yeah. that has made them dislike them. But I also think that the design of the internet, um, you know, uh, the, you know, the center for um, what's it called? Humane technology talks about all the time that the design of the internet has basically made people incredibly intolerant to uh, views that are not their own and news that they don't like. And yeah. I think that, that that has created a lot of it too. I think a lot of it is, you know, Google, Facebook, Twitter created too. I think so. Um, and to be clear, I think I was one of these people, especially when I was in my 20s. Uh, the revenge on me is to watch everybody act like that in media in perpetuity, where back when LeBron went to Miami, I was wagging my finger at the fans and a lot of them were being crazy. And there was some legit, legit ugliness um, when he returned to Cleveland. But I was that guy back then um, lecturing everybody so smugly uh, about how they were being a bunch of Neanderthals. And now it just seems to be the operating modality of the media uh, on so many topics. And that brings us in a segue right to LeBron. You had, uh, a somewhat provocative tweet, Spike. But I think you were getting at something here. I mean, this is a very normy view that you just don't you don't hear. You don't hear. Uh, can't get over how lame LeBron is. It has to be. And it, there's some tongue in cheek here, but the first sentence is what I want to fixate on. But can't get over how lame LeBron is. It has to factor into his overall greatness. Going to lame himself right out of the top five all time when all is said and done. What say you to that? And anybody who wants to jump in with questions after we discuss this, by all means. Anyone who doesn't admit that the way he acts is incredibly lame is lying. Like there, I, he, when, when I saw the story about how he's not ruling out Cleveland in the middle of <laughs> All-Star Weekend, as he's on the Lakers, 
uh, on a team that he designed that, by the way, when we look at his, if he only lasts three years with the Lakers, two years will be under 500. And the, and the championship they won was played with a four-month break before the playoffs at Disney World with no fans there. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, it won't have been a terribly successful run. And I was such a, I think I was such a huge LeBron fan. And as like the last six or seven years of his career, he's just, he tries so hard. And it, what I, if I'm, if I'm to sort of psychoanalyze, it always seems like he is searching for this reverence. Yes. That he never is going to get. And he's waiting to do the one thing. It's like when you have a girlfriend who you can feel her slipping away Mm. and and you keep trying to do this one thing that will get her back, whether it's the right thing to write or the right place to take her or whatever. And I, I feel like LeBron sees people like Jordan or Kobe. And I think what really triggered people was Iverson. I'm not a huge Iverson guy, but when you, when you hear other players talk about who made them want to play basketball, they say Kobe, they say Iverson, they say Jordan, and they never say LeBron. And mm-hmm. I think he feels that. And I think, you, you know, there's no doubt that he has influence over players and how they treat their brand and blah, 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 blah. But there's nothing cool about that, it, like at least superficially. And yeah. no one will, you know, like it doesn't feel the same to say, especially for a basketball player, I would think to say, you know, when Giannis says, watching Allen Iverson made me want to play basketball. That's why I play basketball. Can you ever remember a basketball player saying that about LeBron? And I, I think he's always chasing that, that level of greatness and that level of reverence. And because he doesn't get it, everything he does is a little bit lamer. And, and everything he talks about, even when you look at his Instagram, this, this, not that he can't celebrate himself, but this season is a disaster. Mm. And, and every time he passes another thousand points in a loss, there's an Instagram post about <laughs> how he never saw himself uh, becoming this. It's just like, oh, man, <laughs> enough. Just stop yeah. it. You know? And I don't think while playing with your son is a really, I think, neat goal. And I think it would be neat to do. It's not going, it's just not going to have the effect that he thinks it does. Going to the Lakers didn't have the effect he thought it would. It, yeah. It's really like the last cool, I'm sorry, I keep talking, the last cool moment that LeBron had was beating the Warriors. And that yeah. was it. And if he had just walked away, not that he should have, then maybe his, his legend would have been what it wanted. But now I feel like he's just trying to climb up a mountain covered in Vaseline, trying mm-hmm. to get back to that spot. Well, and what did he say after winning the championship in the bubble? When he made his way to the media, he looked into the camera and he said, I want my damn respect, right. which was weird. It was weird. Yeah. It's just 
Wait, you think that we're withholding it? You think that you're, you're, you're not respected? This is what you're chasing? Uh, it's not a sentiment that people like. Narcissism, if channeled subtly, can be uh, appealing. You know, Kobe was savvy enough to make his narcissism about how you needed to follow the Kobe system and be a ruthless killer like he was. And people were into that. But just pure narcissism, pure, I want more credit. I want more attention. It's almost like a, it, it, it's a Greek tragedy of wanting it so badly that you'll never get it because that's how we are as people. And it's similar with Kevin Durant that if we can tell that you really need it from us, we're not going to give it. And that's just how we are. And Michael Jordan doesn't need it. So we're just going to give it to him. That's how it goes. Yeah. I think um, I, I, and, and for real, everybody says LeBron is either the first, second or third best player of all time. Like what more respect could one be given than, than, than either the first and, and the two people who might be better than you are some combination of like Jordan, Wilt Chamberlain, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like that's that's the group <laughs> of players that you're in. We need to that's say it. that he's better than Michael Jordan because he took a stand for social justice, and Michael Jordan was apoc- apocryphally quoted as saying Republicans buy sneakers too, or some. That's really the scheme that was cooked up. I mean that that is the end run that was attempted and failed miserably because it, it's not real and it doesn't resonate. Yeah, and and by the way, then then LeBron had his Republicans buy sneakers two moment with the China stuff. Like yes. that, that was that was it was the the same thing. Yeah, I um I I I wonder when and when I think of Kobe too, Kobe seemed a little bit lost in the idea of what he thought Kobe would be. Like, I, I wonder who he really was, because mm. I think sometimes I worked with Danny Bonaducci for a few years. And um, I know this is a wild like comparison. I can't I wait to see him, where this goes. Well, when I worked with Danny, it was right after breaking Bonaducci and everybody had this idea of Danny. And I always Danny was nothing but kind to me. And I had a good experience working with him. But I always wonder, does Danny even know who Danny is? Or is Danny mm. constantly trying to be what the image that everyone expects Danny to be? And mm. I think Kobe was a little of that too. Like he was in the public eye from such a young age. Sometimes I think those people, and LeBron too, sometimes I think those people never get to find out who they are and that they they try to be what is expected of them. And I always thought yeah. that, Kobe, Kobe had that too. And I think, by the way, I think some of the reverence for players like Jordan and Kobe and Iverson is that it's cooler and players like watching it more. I, yeah. It's the same, same reason that players all think Kyrie is awesome is because he can do things in a, from on a basketball yes. level that players want to be able to do. And LeBron doesn't quite do those things the same way as great as he is. Yeah, and players are good at making that distinction, actually. They really value the ability to do something with a move that they can't do, but they also respect size and strength and will say that 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 guy is a better player. You know, it was commonplace, I think, among Warriors players to think that Kevin Durant was the better player. 
uh, than Steph Curry. And it wasn't about true shooting percentage or this or that. It was a sense of, well, when that guy does the turnaround jump shot, I, I can't block it. You know, there's just nothing I can yeah. do. And so, you know, they weigh that kind of thing. But let, let's take let's take some questions. You know, that's a little point of call in. Let's take some questions. Sean, Sean, calling you up to the stage, sir. If you could unmute yourself, Sean. I'm giving Sean a five count. Oh, there we go. There we go. <laughs> hey, Sean. Hey, um, enjoying the show as always. Thanks, Ethan, for calling me up. Um, this is more of, a, I guess, a comment and just building off of what Spike just said uh, more than anything. Um, you know, I've been a Laker fan since way back, you know, since the days of Eddie Jones. And I was a LeBron fan even before he came to the team. So obviously, you know, I was pretty stoked when they got him in 2018. Um, but I got to say, as, as Spike mentioned, his just overall lameness over the last few years has really put off me as a diehard fan. And I know it's not just me. I know plenty of friends, you know, growing up around my age, I'm, you know, I'm 31, that were put off by LeBron too, just because like, fr- frankly, you know, anytime he opens his mouth, you know, you kind of assume it's going to go bad at this point. He always says something pretty dumb. And it's weird because I've mentioned this on a previous uh, calling you hosted, Ethan, but, you know, I almost enjoyed following the Lakers more a few years ago when it was the Lonzo Ball team, Julius mm. Randle. Like, I watched every single game. Well, you, you feel and, like you're part of some guy's vanity project right now. Exactly. And I was trying to put my finger on it, uh, you know, just a minute ago, trying to think of, like, how can I explain, like, I guess what, what's been lost. And it's because, obviously, I know that deep down the Lakers' success is tied to LeBron's success. And, frankly, like, if I'm being honest, like, I guess I don't really want to see this guy be successful right now just because he said so many dumb things over the last few years. I think that all makes a lot of sense. And one of the reasons, because somebody could listen to this and go, oh, my God, you guys are are haters. You're hating on LeBron. I think it's just fascinating. As someone who isn't cool, I'm fascinated by (laughs) cool. I'm fascinated by how somebody could be it and have it. And then it goes away somehow. LeBron James, I guess I I considered him. He seemed pretty cool. I know a lot of people hated the move to Miami, but that version seemed cool, right? And you could say the same for the guy who came back to Cleveland. It was his last great moment, as as Spike is saying. But there's there's been this lamification, and that's really interesting. (laughs) And and Spike, do you have any uh, additional thoughts on what Sean said? Well, just as a as a minor troll moment, I think. Lakers fans and, and maybe Sean, you you not included. <laughs> Lakers fans all talked about LeBron wasn't good for so long, yeah. and then they all turned and they're getting what they deserve right now. Well, because, uh, because look, they uh, they sold their souls for a fake championship. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be honest and I'll say like, look, growing up, of course, I was on the Kobe side, but you know, deep down, you're always like, hmm, LeBron does have better stats in pretty much every single category. I guess I got to admit it eventually. I did come around on it because I ended up winning a little bit of money on, you know, I had a bet on him coming to Lakers. So of course that made me, you know, pretty happy about it too. But yeah, you're right. I, you know, I always say 50% of Laker fans are are just morons. Like it's just true. Like a lot, you know, there's just so many of us out there that a lot of us are bozos. Um, And I think we've been spoiled by, you know, over the last 20 years and we've seen six titles. So I think there's a a part of that too. Yeah. Well, you know, it's again, as you're saying, it's the downside of having, the biggest fan base in all of basketball. But thanks for the question, Sean. Let's go with Scott. Scott, longtime caller, superstar chatter with the baby on the shoulder. How you doing, Scott? Hey, Spike and Ethan. Uh, doing well. I was actually going to double down on the LeBron lameness uh, point, but Sean, B 
beat me to it and did a good job there. Mine would be from the opposite perspective. I'm a Warriors fan and a Laker hater, uh, LeBron hater, to be fair. Um, but um, I guess I don't need to uh, go there again. I was going to give a different perspective on the kind of coolness side. Um, I was going to share this back when you did uh, one of your first call-ins after your uh, Michael Jordan article, but I wasn't yet kind of calling in uh, or asking to speak but uh quick story when i was 10 years old um my dad got asked to host michael jordan at his golf club in san francisco so i actually went out walked with my dad while he played with jordan and a couple guys and uh was, was this uh harding is this tpc no, harding uh san francisco golf club okay um, uh different different course so um but just Damn. to kind of you know, it was it was awesome. Like there's some cool stories I could share. Like probably the the best one was you know my dad asked him, and it was this was actually a few months after his dad had died, and he was he retired for the first time. Um, so there was some interesting stuff there. But my dad asked Jordan like, "Hey, you've you know at the point one at that point won three titles, you know, won MVP however many times, you know, scoring champion. Like, what's the one thing now you wish you could do?" And he said, I wish I could take my kids to McDonald's because he just couldn't do that at that point. And like, not that any celebrity could now, uh, anyway, now, especially with smartphones and anything, but, um, we're just going to share that and kind of contrast Jordan to LeBron on the kind of lame slash cool side. Cause like Jordan, as you pointed out in your article is just, he's so inherently cool. He just doesn't care. And everything he does is just kind of effortlessly cool, like the closing his eyes, shooting the free throw, like just everything that LeBron does when he tries to go there just feels really produced and fake. And it it just has that, doesn't have that air of authenticity. Like he's just trying too hard. And you don't want to be insensitive and it gets to a weird place, but the parading around of the kids, the way that he's acted at their games I, I don't know what to think about. Like, I okay, I'll be I'll be real. Okay, I'm, I'm doing the whole, like, hemming and hawing. Like, I can still be fired by people, but I can't be fired <laughs> by people. It looks like narcissism, and it's off-putting. That's what I'll say about it. Well, as someone who has his kid in his profile picture on call, ah! uh, which is the only thing <laughs> I've had with it. Anybody actually, who parades their kid around for the public is obviously Just so I get a bump to the top of the, the speaker list. That's what I try. Um, well, well, Scott, you've, you've done a great job. You've scored highly on self-awareness today. <laughs> Me, not so much. And we will move on to Yusarian. Let's call Yusarian. Oh, on, Spike, real, do you have a yeah, take? Real, yeah. Just real quick, you brought up Durant before. Oddly, as uncool as Durant has been in in many different times, there's something that is so much more relatable to me over the last couple of years. Because, you know, you go back to when he got caught with the burner. And you're like, well, I could see if everybody was hating on me like that on the internet that I would maybe do something like that. And then him going to Brooklyn uh, and and constantly for some reason his chase for respect, which yeah. he will never get probably is more re- uh, is not, not more real, but I feel it 
And yeah. I feel like I understand it more than I do LeBron's. And it's more genuine to me. And I, that's why, to me, when I look at Durant, I feel bad because it seems like while everyone thinks he's good, no one respects him enough to, like, treat him with the reverence that you would think. Like, in Golden State, they didn't. And in yeah. Brooklyn, like, Kyrie's like, eh, you know, maybe I'll play, maybe I'll not play. Uh, Harden just forced his way out. And I, I don't know, I, I feel not in kinship with Durant, but he does seem like a real normal person as much as one of the best players of all time making $45 million a year can feel real and normal. Well, he, he almost flatters you with his contempt when he's yelling yeah. at you because he really cares. He's not putting himself above you in that moment, right? Uh, when right. he's got the burner accounts, when he's yelling at somebody with a few followers, when he's yelling at me in the locker room, uh, I don't think that's a move LeBron would do. He would attack you through proxies and never admit that he cared about what you said. And it's well known that LeBron knows who everybody is in the media, but he doesn't give them the pleasure of knowing that. And yeah, Kevin Durant, he's an unusual guy. Obviously, I've written about it. Um I don't dislike him. He's got an odd quality where he's intensely frustrating. The people around him wind up feeling very frustrated, but nobody ends up hating him. I mean, he basically completely tried to destroy me in public in a press conference, and I don't hate him. You know, I I mean that honestly. I don't hate him. And I'm not sure what quality uh, that is exactly. Maybe it's to what you said, that there's some sort of – purity to it um, that you can relate to and he'll never get exactly what he's chasing just like LeBron both of them uh, would probably find that it would catch up to them if they stopped chasing it Uh, but they are I think um, perhaps inspiring different emotional reactions right now but uh, Yasarian let's call Yasarian up to the floor hey guys hey uh, so I've been a little distracted by the UCLA Oregon game so hopefully I don't cover anything that you guys have already you know, discussed in depth, Pack but um, <laughs> people watch that channel. Yeah, I know. It's not looking good for the Bruins at the moment. Anyway. Um, so yeah, Sean is a fellow Laker fan. He said a lot of, uh, echoed a lot of my own thoughts and feelings on the Lakers and LeBron. And just to sort of continue to unpack some of the comments you guys already said, the two things I think about LeBron that turn people off are one is this, this neediness, right? People do not respond well to needy people. Um, and I've seen it over and over again. And I just think that's in some, some sense how it comes off. And then the social justice thing, I think, cuts against him because he puts on, to a certain extent, this, this mantle of victimhood when he's one of the most wealthy, famous, and powerful people in, in American sport. I, I want to interject there, too, because there's this other thing, the promoting the I can't believe I'm here. I never thought I'd be here. I mean, that might be true in how he feels about it, right? But that is not how the public feels about him at all. That's just completely the opposite because people are not mystified by why the most athletic person they've ever seen in any sport became good at basketball combined with how they were aware of him from the time he was 15 years old. So it's just strange. Like he is, to what you're saying, I guess on multiple fronts, promoting things that are incongruous or at cross purposes and maybe that's not a good connection i just drew but that was another thing that popped in my head and 
you know, I, I think and talk extemporaneously. Yeah. Well, <laughs> which is good. Um, that's how good conversations happen. And I mean, no, I, I think that's true. And it's, it's like, if you have that, that's like the first step. The second step is like this, this profound sense of like gratitude and humility, right? It's like, mm. you know, I mean, LeBron James was, was born with athletic gifts that, that few mortals have, have ever had. And obviously he had to do the work to, to maximize those, but it, you know, it's, a, it's a gift. And so, you know, there's one thing to have that sort of cold blooded egotism of, of, uh, an MJ obviously, or, uh, uh, a Kobe. Um, but there's not that same sense. You don't get the sense that these are needy people, right? It's like, yeah. they're, they're indifferent to you and you can well, respect that. Cause it's like, they, they just don't give a shit. Well, Whereas for, LeBron does for LeBron it's, and I'm talking a lot on spike riff on it. It's, we want you to enjoy being what you are because we would like to be you, or a lot of us would, right? We're almost renting self-esteem from these incredible athletes, and LeBron is just the, you know, alpha athlete. So, you know, Bo Jackson was cool to people because it seemed like he was just having a great time being Bo Jackson and just knocking the hell out of people on the football field and hitting 500-foot home runs. And you didn't need to know a lot more than that. And it almost seems like there's an overdetermined quality to the LeBron James marketing that just completely overthinks it. And uh, yeah. Spike, we, 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 we're doing a lot of LeBron. It's a hot topic, man. People are asking questions. Do you have additional thoughts? Well, well, no, you're right. You know, when you had written that thing about LeBron, is that they like they can't? I, I feel like the marketing of it cannot recover what they're trying to recover, so they just keep making it worse. Yes. It's, it's, you know, like, it's Quick every, uh, yeah, every step to sort of correct overcorrects even further and makes it even worse. And I, I think he would benefit. You know, somebody said to me when I, I tweeted that original tweet um, about what the, what, what we will think of him, you know, uh, once he's done playing is that he said when he's done some of this feeling that people have that I specifically have will go away. And maybe that would be true if he went away. He's but, never got Right. Like this mogul thing that, that is happening is never going to go away. And, and it's only going to be lame. And I, I don't like, I don't know if, if we will ever get a chance to, um, you know, forget about him for a little while or get to appreciate him. Kevin O'Connor, we always make fun of him every time he says this. He'll, he'll say something like, uh, God bless him. He'll say... Nicest man in the industry, but continue. He really is. I do love him. And he, uh, he'll say, we really need to appreciate like LeBron James now. It's like, when are we not fucking appreciating LeBron James? Like, all we do is talk about how good he is. Only on this call-in. Only on this yeah. call-in is where we don't. I've last fucking decade and a half of my life has been spent talking about how good LeBron is. We appreciate him more than maybe any athlete. And to his defense, he's probably been criticized more than any great athlete of my life because of the the world and, uh, you know, uh, like the, the social media thing that Jordan didn't have to deal with um, and Kobe didn't have to deal with, with for all of his career. Um, but he has been appreciated, you know, and I, I wonder if we'll ever 
get to let him go away for a little while so we can have the reverence for him that his his career probably deserves. It might. It's hard to predict the future uh, with yeah. all of that. Uh, we'll have to avoid World War Three first, and then we will focus on uh, yeah. the LeBron James retrospectives. But uh, let's call Chris up to the stage. Chris, you've been waiting a while. Waiting a while, sir. Are you muted? What's up? Give... Hey, Chris, how you doing? Yo, so there's been a lot of talk about LeBron, Lakers, West, West Coast stuff. I'm an East Coast guy, Sixers guy. Mm. And, I, you know, you guys have been talking about NBA media a lot. I want to talk about how the NBA media has kind of been gaslighting Philly fans on this Harden-Simmons trade. I love it. Because if I remember correctly, the last time we saw Ben Simmons, who is this crown jewel of this Nets trade, it was one of the most, like, uncomfortable, like, sports collapses of I've ever seen, you know? Yeah. And we're not like the guy decided to, to just not play again with four <laughs> years on his contract. Amazing. And people are saying he's a perfect fit. He's going to be great. <laughs> the Nets <laughs> are going to be scary. <laughs> he still hasn't played like, and we're getting back this one of the best players of all time. And the NBA is still, the media is trying to say the Sixers, Oh, what are they doing? They're trading Seth Curry right. and Andre Drummond. I, I want to hear your guys' takes on this. I, I, I'm with you. Obviously, Spike's going to have takes on it, but I, I'm with you. I, the prospect of James Harden, uh, heavy or otherwise, much more appealing to me than Ben Simmons. And it is an underrated component. Maybe they're scared off of it because of the mental health uh, reason that was out there. But what can you really expect about a guy who responds to that collapse, not by, I'm going to get better, I'm going to show up to camp. I'm going to be great, but to run away from the whole situation. Spike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I was honestly stunned by the national reaction to the Nets won the trade thing. I I, I think it's another one of these things that people talk about. It's almost like one guy has a powerful agency and the other guy doesn't have an agent. Continue. Right. Right. Well, that's a a, a good point. The... um, the, my favorite thing that they do, which is proof that more people talk about basketball than watch basketball, is when they say, put him next to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Like, what the fuck does that even mean? Uh, that, that, that's not how basketball works. Can you please tell me what championship-level NBA team has a wing who will not willingly shoot a three-pointer? nobody yeah only centers he's not a fucking center stop talking about putting him next to people that's not how it works it just he doesn't just not have to shoot because the other guy shoots that's not how basketball works um it was a crazy reaction to it and um, Absolutely. Harden is not without his risks and problems out here and, and, and playoff collapses on his own. But to the, the call-in point, I think the Ben Sim- – we're talking about forgetting about things. Maybe the yeah. Ben Simmons thing is so far in the rear view, people forget what a fucking massive disaster it was. Like, it yeah. was really bad. Really, really bad, that Atlanta series. Yeah, 
it, it was. And hey, I, I just I know that there's some defensive ability there. It was intriguing to think about him maybe coming to the Warriors via some sort of trade, but not being able to shoot, I still think it's an underrated flaw in, in the, the modern NBA. And I, I, I don't know how. Uh, I don't know how at this juncture, but that's my take. And I, I'm not so convinced that he learned in the uh, in the interim. But let's call Rick. Thanks so much, Chris. Let's call Rick up to the stage. We'll try to get a few more questions in and then call it a night. Rick, Rick. Hey, guys, can you hear me? Yes, yes, we can. Oh, perfect. Thanks so much. So uh, I had a take, and it's definitely um, very similar to kind of what Spike was saying. I just wanted to add on to it where – it's this whole, you know, it's around Ben Simmons and, you know, Mr. 25. That for this year, I think if you look at the Nets roster, it's an awful fit. Other mm. than, yes, KD, who is like the best fit with every NBA player. But their entire roster is either centers who can't shoot or they're awful shooters or five tiny point guards who are good shooters. But you can only really have one of them out on the floor. They have zero three and D guys and Joe Harris, who is a mid-sized wing, who's a great shooter, is probably hurt. So I, I don't see how in the playoffs you can play a lineup with Steph Seth Curry and Kyrie Irving, Ben and KD, and then there'll be other what, Patty Mills? I, I feel like that's going to get heavily exploited. I the mean, answer to your question is partially that nobody cares enough about the Nets to have really thought as deeply as you've thought about it, even if they are one of the championship favorites. Uh, Spike, do you agree with the take? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, but forgetting about even caring about it, nobody's even seen any of it. Like, there's yeah. nothing, everything that we're talking about with the Nets is imaginary because nothing has really been seen. And I, I thought the same thing when they were, when they traded for Drummond, like, Simmons can't play with Drummond. Yeah. We've seen that before. Like we've seen him, we've seen Simmons with a center um, that isn't just going to stand on the perimeter and shoot, and it doesn't work. So, uh, but yeah, I don't even know every everything about the Nets is in theory and not in reality. So I think that's also part of the issue. Yeah, they are this weird fugazi of an operation run by Joe Sy, where maybe. Hey, I don't, I'm not looking to get killed, but I might want to just I, – I, I want answers as to what his deal is. This guy who his main business partner is, uh, you know, has been, you know, disappeared in some function. And he is theoretically kind of a CCP functionary, but he lives in La Jolla, but also New York. And I believe he's from Taiwan. Uh, the, the whole thing, it's just it, – it's quite fascinating and uh, – who the hell knows what the interest is with the NBA? Um, let's call Kumar up to the stage. I know I surprise people sometimes. I feel like I should give him a little bit of lead up. Kumar, are you there? Yeah. Hi. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can. Oh, thank you. Uh, amazing call, guys. And uh, yeah, so I have the question uh, or a quandary regarding Ben Simmons and the mental health issue. The other, the beginning you're talking about and. Uh, Especially, you know, I was listening to other podcasts and one of the hosts was talking about how we as we look at players as entertainers and we don't care about them. And hence we come to their, you know, mental health and we don't take into their mental health into account. But I, I always feel like 
as a fan if i cannot hold anyone responsible like a player responsible for at that moment if i start thinking about all the mental health and everything at every stage yeah. and what am i going to do is it just that i am i <laughs> what am i paying money and what yeah. am i doing there for as yes. a fan i would rather be you know in a sterile environment and you know somewhere else you know i don't need to be a fan right um, what am yeah. i invested in uh, is what i always feel what do you guys think about it and and that's what i call to come across in the media too because people even in the nfl you just see that you know, uh dropped out a little bit which is too bad because he was making great points uh, um, sorry can you hear me now yes yeah, yes yeah, yes yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry about that yeah so um yeah even in radio you uh, hear these lot of callers especially during... well he's dropping out a bit but we'll we'll address some of what he said because i think he was making great points which is that if you can't be mad at a guy and you're going to be shamed when he disappoints you then what are we doing here <laughs> like what is this whole thing <laughs> what yeah. is it based on it, it's sort of like when I, a lot of times I'll say if a player proves out to be a bad guy, does something bad, I don't really care that much because I was never looking to them. I, I think a lot of times when we think that they're good guys, it's really not that they're bad, but we, we just don't know that much about them. We only yeah. know these couple of things. Like Tobias Harris. I'm thinking of a, a, certain, um, a certain wide receiver uh, who – is from the city of Philadelphia, uh, is somebody who qualifies, perhaps. Um, Indianapolis Colts career. Uh, anyway, you were saying. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I don't want to. <laughs> yes, I, I agree. The, the, um, so I guess I agree in that I think it's fair to understand intellectually that they are humans and like they have feelings too. And just because you make $30 million doesn't make you happy. I understand that and I agree with it. But I shouldn't have to consider that every time I react to a sports thing that that yeah. person did. Cool. And, and, and it's, it's just part of the deal. It's part of the deal by, by, by doing that as a job that people will react emotionally to. Yeah. And there's no reciprocity. There's this weird demand and it does feel almost – it does feel almost a little bit like fuck you peasant of care deeply about the special person, be empathetic towards the special person. Don't expect anything in return. Right. The problem is that these guys don't give a shit about you. Right. And they make that quite clear. Some of them don't. Some of them, I remember there's that Steph Curry tweet where he said, look, we're going to get it together. I promise you if it's the last thing we do. And it might've been God, I don't know, 2009 or 2010 when he tweeted it. Um, that's what people respond to because it seems like there's some reciprocity of, I care about your experience. I care about letting you down, but if it's just all one way and there's this demand that you have, uh, just an infinite well of empathy for the failure of the athlete who clearly only cares about himself, clearly doesn't give a fuck about you. That's just not going to work now, is it? Yeah. And I also think the other thing is. I think it I think there's positives of that too. Like there are yeah. the negatives that, that that fans are negative to players and they don't care and so on and so forth. But I can tell you that I, I think Sixers fans just you know, from my own personal experience, 
because of what Embiid has gone through, you know, physically and uh, losing his brother and all of those things, I think the support levied to him and I think the support levied to athletes when they when they do seem genuine, I think is is way over the top in a good way. But I, yeah. I think there's that too. The, everything about being a sports fan is sort of absurd and emotional. And I, I just think expecting fans to act any other way than that is not really what sports have always been and doesn't seem all that natural. No, no, it doesn't. And I think, you know, this is maybe a weird connection to draw. And we'll, we'll take the last couple of questions after it, but it, it was interesting to me. I, I wrote, as I said about uh, Adam Silver and, and uh, some of the issues, right? The locker room thing. And I quoted, uh, I've, I reported it out. I reported it uh, in the past of him screaming at Scott Skiles and humiliating Skiles when yeah. Skiles was saying that the locker room is my sacred space. Uh, and, you know, I'm not going to reenact it. But what was interesting, I saw it tweeted by a lot of people and most people loved it. And they loved it. And they said, oh, man, I want that David Stern back. But then there was this other loud contingent who were saying, what the fuck? Why is he the good guy here? You know, treating an employee like this, this is so bad. And I think what the second group misses is that the first group just wants order instead of chaos. That's some of it, or at least a lot of it. Right now, it just feels like chaos. It just feels like a very disordered league, a disordered sport. Nothing means anything to anybody. Guys ask out of their contracts within a few months. They are not tethered to the city. They're not tethered to the team. Nothing means anything. Losing, if it, if it happens, not so bad because, you know, people should feel bad for you or because of whatever and be sympathetic. They just want order. Like a lot of fans just want things to make sense and for somebody to be in charge and for contracts to matter and for the damn thing to have meaning. That's what I'm picking up on. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, um, uh, you know, we I think we talked last time about the, that that the NBA themselves may have been silently supporting the Sixers in yeah. signing Simmons and and the fact that they can't publicly say that they're so fearful of their own employees and and the reaction to what it would be that the league can't publicly say while this is going on yeah this can't happen <laughs> that like that, this is bad is and, and the fact that everything that it, it took until All-Star Weekend and the trade to be over and even Silver's comments about it were still sort of half-assed in their um, – in the condemnation of it yeah. is really crazy. You know? It's crazy. Um, it, yeah. it, it, it is – it's crazy just how mealy-mouthed and, you know, every situation's different and da-da-da-da-da and it's – it's just, this is, you can't have it. You can't have it. You need to punish it. Let's take a question from Trevor and maybe one more question. We'll get on out of here. This is a great episode, by the way, Spike. You're, you're killing it. You know, thanks for stopping by. Thank you. Trevor. Ethan, Spike, great to, great to talk to you guys. I'm a big fan of both of you. Um, Thank you. Yeah, just 
calling in from from Jersey and uh, being sort of in the middle of it. Spike, uh, welcome to the Garden State, by the way. Um, Thank you, buddy. I'm <laughs> glad to be here paying property taxes. I love oh, well, you know, we'll, yeah. don't get me started on that as well. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's just the dichotomy between the Sixers and the Nets, like on a meta level, is kind of crazy in that uh, being in the middle of it, the Nets are just like this inauthentic kind of like – fugazi franchise that sort of just appeared like being from jersey you know they they were in like a middle of a parking lot in the meadowlands for a while and now like the sixers are have this like quote-unquote blue collar uh working class whatever but that's all bullshit anyway but a hmm. fan base and there's like a little bit of like authenticity to it as oh you got muted oh. Well, oh, the Sixers are the most authenticity that private equity could buy. Was, was what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah if, <laughs> if you read any of the stories about like the, the crazy Josh Harris, uh, you know, coup attempt or whatever, you, you might not. I, I always get I get shit from our listeners sometimes because I say that I am more more um, that I'll, I'll be a fan of a player more likely, and I'll follow a player than a team and they're like well but the team is from philly and blah, blah blah like the team's owned by like a hedge fund billion <laughs> yeah who, who lives in new york like let, let, they're a company um I, I i think you know following players is probably a more human endeavor than following a team especially at this point i don't know that the nets I, I almost feel like the nets can't have any opposite because they are they're almost impossible to define mm. like from a basketball standpoint, from an image standpoint, from a, they are, they are truly like the, the fact that they were the title favorites 10 days ago is <laughs> lunacy. Like it just proves that we don't know anything about them. They've never even played together, you know, like they, it's the craziest thing. Um, I, I don't even know if it's even all that interesting. Yeah, I mean it. It should be. Again, I just gave the bio as far as I know it about Joe Sy. That's who owns the team. You know, a theoretical alleged CCP, you know, functionary, which came to the head when the uh, the guy running the Sixers uh, said something about Hong Kong. And even that doesn't rise to the level of anybody's interest. Just nobody cares. Like nobody cares enough to. They should have made them the villains. It was perfect, right? That would have been perfect for them to be marketed as the bad boy renegade villains against the Bucks, right? And Giannis. But that's not how the NBA does things. And now it's just all kind of it's just all kind of weird. It's all kind of weird. That whole situation is just one big pile of weird. Uh, let's yeah. take yeah, one. I... Well, yeah, you're gonna say. Well, it was it was weird when I got here to New York, and by the way, the station that I run were the the home of the Nets. We we are the Nets games, and it was um, like the reality that everybody told me about what the interest was of of the Nets, and it's it's been mostly right, more than I think people stated, but mostly right. But and I think maybe this is my Philly and Sixers bias, but I thought to myself after the Simmons trade, if there's anything that can make the Nets, a huge story in New York. It is Ben Simmons 
getting to the free throw line and melting down. Oh, like yeah. that would be a New York Post cover and that would oh. be a, a sports radio topic. Or if we get to a month left in the season and he still hasn't played, you know, like it, it's a weird enough story and a, as much of a human story as it is a basketball story that of all the things that have not been able to get the next local headlines, maybe it's just like Ben Simmons. God, what Australian pun would they work into the headline after oh, the free throw God. meltdown yeah. at the New York Post? Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be something good. They're geniuses. I can't do it off the fly. Let's take one last question, then we're out of here. Grant has not asked a question yet. We will make him next caller. Grant, Grant, Grant. Are you there, sir? Yes, yes. Hey, um, hi. I just I don't know why this occurred to me. This isn't my question, but you haven't done radio, Ethan, in a while. I don't know if you've retired that as a bit. That was a fun mm. one um, from yeah. back in the day. Um, but I was following up on Spike's question and the previous caller's question about both, like the identity of Philly as sort of like this pure, like as a sports town, and then you, uh, Spike's point about following players. Um, I think that something that's sort of lost in the NBA that like is very strong in the NFL is like these individual styles of teams. And I don't know if that necessarily relates one-to-one with ratings, but like you have the Warriors, which were generally a a rating success. It's like they have a shtick. Sort of like Ethan's point in his book about uh, famous GMs sort of just having a shtick where it's like, okay, the Warriors have these two dudes and they can shoot really well. In Philly, it's like, all right, they have Embiid, who's, you know, a, a character. In Philly, like, they're sports fans, they, they're lovable, but they're assholes. And, like, that's their bit. And I think that's yeah. why Philly sports teams are very easy to follow and like. Like, I'm not personally a Philly guy, but I find myself emphasizing with that. They're kind of the Oakland of the East Coast, but that's a separate mm. point. Um, so I was just wondering if, like, and, like, you take the Nets whole thing and, like, sort of the Lakers last iteration. These are And even the Clippers, like, these are sort of soulless thrown together you know open gym teams without identities coaches or really like a lot of cohesion to each other and i wonder if that's part of it and it's sort of related to just the super special team thing you're on to something i'll pass it to the spike but i thought the uh, clippers were well branded i thought lob city was exactly what you want to do when you're trying to just give somebody a bite-sized boom this is the identity. I, I meant more the, the Kawhi, Paul George Clippers. That's oh, correct. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, yeah. That team you're, was entertaining. Yeah, you're a million percent right then. Yeah. yeah. Spike, what do you think? I, I'm not sure. I, I I apologize. I'm not sure I understand the, the specific question about Philly in that in that respect. Could you? Yeah. I, yeah. I, mean, I think my question for you, Spike, is, <laughs> as a, more of a, a Philly guy than myself, of course, is like, what do you think it is about Philly that makes the sports intrigue that much more of a higher pitch? Because, like, you take the process thing, and yeah. sure, that was an interesting way to build a team. Hinky is, like, a martyr to the Philly sports fan. Like, he's Joan of Arc. And, like, you hear, like, I just have a lot of friends that listen to your podcast that, you know, like, is Hinky is literally their martyr who died for their sins. And it's, like, all this is so dramatic, and that's sort of why the Ben Simmons thing was definitely pouring gasoline on the flame because you take this emotionally unstable dude who probably shouldn't have been somewhere so, you know, high pitches Philly. And that's why it was such unbelievable television, the whole fallout of it all. So I think there are a lot of factors that make Philly, Philly similar to Boston and less similar to New York, I think, in, in why they are the way they are a 
about sports. Mm. Um, New York is harder um, for a lot of reasons. First of all, that there are more, there's Philly, everybody that lives in Philly is from Philly. Um, mm. That is not the case in New York. Um, there are just the fact in New York that there are two football teams and two baseball teams that it's, it's hard to generate the sort of wave of support that it is in Philly because everybody in Philadelphia is an Eagles fan and everybody in Philadelphia is a Philly fan. So there's that. There's also the thing where it's like a big city, but it's not big enough to have real famous people that live there. So mm. uh, New York and LA, there are famous people here, but in Philly, the famous people are the athletes and the TV anchors and sports radio hosts. So yeah. like they are like sort of the icons of the town. Um, I think I think Philly being so close to New York gives it a sort of a complex about it, but it makes it focus on things that are less meaningful, like sports or something. Like like it becomes a, a representation of who they are as a city. Um, and that, it's a lot of things. And Philly is not as blue collar as it once was. That that was like that's an old, um, you know. Uh, is the accent going away? Are, are we going to lose that delightful accent in a generation? Oh, that's not going anywhere. <laughs> no, no, no. no, no. I, if, if anything, that's getting stronger. Yeah, I I actually believe the Philly accent. If you really want to define what it is, is. Philly is basically halfway between Baltimore and New York. Yeah. And Philly's accent is really just a scruffier version of Baltimore, which I think is the is sort of halfway between New York and uh and Baltimore. So I, I think that's what Philly is. So I think that's all of the things about Philadelphia. And I think Boston is is pretty similar in that way um in a, in the size of it and the, the um and the why 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 that wave of support is so intense um in yeah i i always pictured boston and philly as like the beginning of the 21st century at least in within the sports media realm as like a case study of like a lot of failure and a lot of success because, like, just coming from a West Coaster, they seem pretty similar on their face. And I also have, like, this pet theory that, like, the Boston sports media complex was – this is, like, a half-baked theory, so bear with me – was buoyed by the success of, like, the Patriots. So, like, would people really care about, like, the Bill Simmonses and the poor noise of the world, to say nothing of their merits – um, if there was like if the Boston sports weren't so relevant, because like, you know, when the Boston sports aren't good, like Bill Simmons, constant mentioning of them is sort of grading. But like when they're relevant, it's undeniable to talk about them. So I was just wondering, like, if the relevance of these teams is because of the personalities of the city or the other way around. Look, I, I, I don't know, man. I've never met anybody who. uh let's say got a book and a media career off uh, a local basketball team becoming a dynasty. So I don't know if there's anything <laughs> to your theory. Um, you know, uh, but I think with the Boston sports uh, media connection, a lot of it is just because it's the city that is, I think, closest to Bristol um, and certainly spiritually closest to Bristol. And so there was the ESPN Boston overlap 
that I think caused Boston sports to punch above its weight. And then when you added the success of the team, that really put it over the top. So I think that's something that Philly doesn't have. Philly doesn't have that same connection to Bristol in the way that Boston does. Also, Philly Philly did not have a run of success with any of their teams the way that Boston did. And, uh, you know, that's an enormous thing. I mean, when, when you're, when you look at sports radio too, like part of why, I mean, it's very big in both places, but um, some of the numbers that come out of Boston are like, don't even seem real, like to somebody who looks at those numbers. And I think the amount of success that they've had over the last 25 years is, is pretty annoying. Yeah. Um, I will end on, uh, you mentioned the radio, Ethan, why don't I do it? I think nice. I just got out of the habit. I think I I wasn't uh, cajoled as much. You know, it's not like when I'm interviewing with, with what I'm doing now, right? It's not like when I'm interviewing Freddie DeBoer that he's trying to like nudge me into doing Radio Ethan in the way that uh, Amin or Waz might do. So I think there's some there's something to it. Maybe it's that Leah I Thomas, get... more like Mia Thomas, because it's all about her. There you know. go. That was very well done. That was excellent, actually. Um, but I think. I, I think it's also I'm now getting criticized and I don't look up all of it as being something of a reactionary. And so if I do the radio, Ethan, who is just an effortless reactionary, it, it's somehow now uh, going to seep into the whole thing and screw it up. I, I look at your criticism on Twitter. I don't know. It's just like a fun thing to look up. They still don't get you. They're going to figure out eventually. They they're 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 fighting a straw man that you're not. I'll I'll check in with you every once in a while, but they haven't figured you out yet. You should rest easy. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm actually jealous that people get so mad at you, and I can't figure out what it is. Like I, <laughs> every every time I post something of yours, like it's the paywall. Yeah, like three people go, "Fuck that guy!" Like, and I'm like. <laughs> What does he even talk about that that could make him that mad? And I, I I can't engage in it. But whatever skill you have, it is unreal. I it's it's mystifying sometimes too because I'm sure like anybody who talks about controversial issues, there is something worthy to criticize or a different perspective. But I so rarely get that. I know it happens, but I so rarely get that. It's just this kind of visceral anger and a lot of times it's from media people and you just wonder you know are you arguing against something i said or am i just some sort of avatar to you that you don't like and get mad at and i think a lot of times it's the latter because i guess that's easier and it's more emotionally satisfying than saying that hey this is something that i disagree with and i have a different perspective on it do you think it's that they're too dumb to read Freddie DeBoer, so they they like just project whatever they're supposed to be mad at Substack guys at you because they at least know what you talk about. <laughs> I have no idea. Here, what here's it a all good, is. here's a good one. It's a meme. It's the LeBron like determined face, and it's oh, yeah. a stat about how the Daytona performed better than the All Star game. It's <laughs> Ethan Strauss looking at this tweet. I think that, that's I, pretty funny. I saw that. Yeah, somebody sent that to me, actually. Really, so I really saw that. Right. And I even re- might have referenced it earlier, to which I thought, wasn't that the greatest moment of LeBron's career? I mean, yes. my haters yes. are doing that for me. And I am victorious, victorious, yeah. because now I guess I want NASCAR to prevail over the NBA, even though NASCAR has its own problems. Although that is an interesting stat because NASCAR is dying. 
And the idea of it dying is that it's getting older and the NBA is younger. And so people were saying that, well, the NBA crushed NASCAR among younger people. But if that's the case, then the gap between Daytona and the All-Star game uh, shouldn't be growing over time. It should be shrinking. So it's a very uh, – the numbers from All-Star uh, were very bad for the NBA. That is the upshot. And I've, I've made my point, and I feel like it's not something I even cover that often. Um, I don't really dig into the numbers anymore. But what's happened has happened, and uh, you can either reckon with it or not. And I guess a lot of people are angry at me for having pointed it out. You know, what can I say? They're they're mad at you for liking David Stern, too, which I, I didn't know that David Can't Stern was it. part of the, the Twitter canceled list. I, but Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I get it to a degree. I talk to people that they don't think I should talk to. Frankly, I talk to anybody who invites me on a podcast. And so they're mad about that. They're mad about everything. I get it. It's been a shitty two years. I understand it to a degree, although not really. I say I understand it, but I don't get mad at people like that. Sometimes I, I just would want the reciprocity um, and to be treated like I, I treat other people, where if I have an issue with something they did, I actually explain it. Uh, but hey, hey, you know, it's is versus ought. I can either whine about uh, how things uh, ought to be or I can just focus on how things are. And thankfully, thanks to listeners like you. Thanks to excellent guests like Spike. Thanks to great callers like Grant. I'm doing pretty well. So I can't complain. And with that, (laughs) (laughs) and with that, that's the, uh, I I did an outro and then awkwardly didn't actually outro it, but uh, thanks everybody. And Spike, you were fantastic. We'd love to have you back. Is there anything you'd want to plug? I have an idea of what you want to plug, but is there anything you want to plug? No, I don't want to plug anything. I appreciate you having me on. I, I, um, I actually, I feel like the amount of podcasting that we do, I do three a week, two, two for the Ricky, and then uh, the Carl Landry Record Club, like the music one, is more than enough talking. But mm. I am a fan of yours, and it is, uh, it's cool to be on. So I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much, Spike. He's more podcast than man, folks. Feel free. Yeah. Not even feel free. Don't feel free. Feel compelled to check this guy out. We will be back next week. Stay safe, everybody. See ya.